And so as we started tonight, I want us to all get on the same page that there is a vast array of experiences that have happened in the room this last year or in the history. Chances are you found yourself resonating with one of those statistics, whether you liked it or not. Dating is hard. My wife and I, we've been married three and a half years, but don't think for a second, I don't remember all of the tragic relationships I've had. I messed up time and time and time again and, and completely like failed over and over and over again. But I got it right once. And so, yes, God got that one right with Allie. But I remember how hard it was. And so I don't envy your situation, but we want to talk about it. We want to talk about dating because it's hard. We want to talk about dating because it's a part of our lives. That again, whether you like it or not, the way society has set up our relationships and how we pursue a future spouse is through dating. So unless God has called you to singleness, chances are you're going to date. And so as we talk about it, we hope that through God's grace, we're going to be able to do it better in 2023. And this is the point of the message where I wish, oh my goodness, this last week, did I pray and hope that this would happen, that I wish I could tell you to open your Bible to the chapter of dating, and we would just start reading verse one. Unfortunately, God has not given me that kindness tonight, but don't think that there isn't something to say in the Bible about dating. Because while you'll never open up your Bible dictionary and search and find dating as in a romantic sense, you will find truth after truth that we can cling to and apply to our romantic lives. And we're going to do that in three ways. The first one is we're going to clarify our purpose. The second one is we're going to check our person. And the third one is we're going to cultivate a practice. And as we do that, I'm going to pray. Pray with me. Father, thank you tonight for the chance to gather as your people, the chance to sit under the teaching of your word, the chance to just learn about what it looks like to pursue you and to incorporate that into our dating and romantic lives. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, we are looking to clarify our purpose. Clarify our purpose. It's really as simple as answering the question, why are we dating? Right? Like if you were to sit down and have to pull out a notebook, and I'm not going to make you do this, but if you were, what would you answer to the question, why do you date? It seems simple, but in answering this question, I think we find peace and I think we find perspective. When we're able to figure out the purpose of dating, we start to set the trajectory of where we're going with relationships. But the problem is many people don't ask this question. They don't wrestle with it, and so they get confused. It gets chaotic. It gets hurtful and harmful. And there's no peace, and there's no perspective. Maybe that defines your relationship you're currently in. Not peace and perspective, but those other things I was saying. Anxious, overwhelmed, confused, frustrated, hurt angry, whether it's a relationship you're in or a relationship in your past, maybe part of the problem was you never clarified your purpose. Because confusion, it brings chaos, while clarity, it brings kindness. I'll tell you that in February, I turn a a fourth, a quarter of a century old. Now do your math on that. But there's a tendency I have in the middle of the night where you would probably think I'm like 90. Because it doesn't matter. I could stop drinking water yesterday. But between the hours of 2 and 5 a.m., I will have to go to the bathroom every single night. 
And you didn't roll up here needing to know that. But I told you because of this. Because of this. It doesn't matter. Every single night I sleep in the same bed, on the same side, in the same room. But every single night when my eyes pop open between 2 to 5 in the morning and I have to go to the bathroom, you know what the first thought in my head is? Confusion. (laughs) I've got no idea where I'm at. Like I, I, it's like I almost got dumped with a bucket of water. Like I've just, chaos ensues because I start to stumble out of bed and I'm trying to find the bathroom and I'm kicking things and I'm hitting things and I'm actually taking covers and I don't know where I'm at. But the second I grab the bathroom door handle, mm, <laughs> there is clarity. It's like, yes, yes. It is 2.45 in the morning and I have stumbled to the bathroom. I made it, right? And that clarity is Kindness. But some of us in our dating relationships, we feel honestly like we've stumbled around in the dark, kicking things and running into things and getting hit with things and getting hurt. And there's a lot of chaos and and confusion. And it's left us in an anxious, overwhelmed, frustrated, hurt place. And I'm advocating that we need to clarify our purpose. Why are you dating? The King James Version of the Bible in Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. It's speaking to this idea that we need to know where we're headed. Without purpose, without direction, without vision, it's dangerous. And so I'm going to give you a simple answer that many Christians would give for the correct purpose of dating. And it's just this. The correct purpose of dating is to pursue marriage. Two words. Pursue marriage. It's an assessment process. It's really, truly an evaluation. Like, we don't like to say it, but it's almost (laughs) interview-esque. Like, you get into this relationship and you are constantly, you should be evaluating the other person to see if they will make a suitable spouse for you in the future. That's why we should date. But unfortunately, that's not why everybody dates. When we have that purpose, there is peace. If you and your significant other can get on the same page that you are in this relationship to pursue marriage, there's peace there because you never have to worry about your motives or theirs, right? Have any of you ever been in a relationship where you're all in, but you don't know where that other person's at? The feeling marked by that is anxiety. It also brings perspective. If you're trying to evaluate and pursue someone for marriage, but they are unkind, they're constantly in conflict with all kinds of people, and their personality is marked by immaturity, Is that someone you want for your future spouse? And finally, I think it gives you permission to leave. When you have your purpose set, when you are pursuing marriage and dating, it gives you permission to leave when they aren't that person for you. So many of us, we've been in relationships, you're in a relationship where the shoe just hasn't dropped yet and so you're still there. Right? You see some of the character things, they're not your favorite person, it's you know it's probably not your future, but for right now it's just fine. And so you stay. And you waste your time, and you waste their time, and people get hurt in the process because we're not pursuing the right purpose. It gives us peace, perspective, and permission to leave when we understand our purpose in dating. The list for why people date for the wrong reasons can go on and on and on. People date for community, that they feel lonely so they need someone by their side. They date for status so they can post pictures or pull up to the family gathering so when Karen asks again, do you have someone? It's like, yes, finally, here's a picture of them, right? Like, we date for worth. 
Our society is so messed up, it somehow teaches us that singleness makes us less. And so we need that person by our side to feel worthy and valuable. We date to find purpose. A lot of us, we want to be future parents, and so we tag someone in alongside us just to get to an ultimate goal. List after list, on and on, we can go for faulty purposes, and when we date for the wrong reasons, there is more heartache there than happiness. There is more pain there when our purpose is not clarified. It's confusing to everyone involved. It's dangerous. It's harmful. So the first thing we need to do is we need to clarify our purpose. The second one is this. You need to check your person. Check your person. And no, don't get all creepy and weird at me like the pastor told me I could check some. No, I, I didn't tell you. I said check, not check out. Check. Check your person. You need to check your person. This is answering the question, who should we date? And I actually have a second slideshow for you of single, single people at a waist. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> I'm just playing. But if you're single, go ahead and put your hand up. No, don't do that either. Don't do that either. I do have some people on that leadership team, though, if you're interested. Come talk to me. <laughs> no, I'm kidding again. I'm kidding again. But I want us to make a list together. Okay? Can we do that? I want us to make a list of someone who would be a suitable spouse. And I'm not talking about that list, you know, like, girl, you just pulled out your phone and she's like, okay, I can add four points to this. I think I got some room here. It's like, it's going to be six foot, blonde, blue eyes, good bod, like great family, 401k, like check, 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 check. <laughs> and girls, if you feel like you're getting called out, guys, I'm coming for you. Like your list might not be 52 bullet points, but chances are you got something, you know, like she better be athletic, but, and it's got a show, like, come on. And she better be like funny, but like not annoying. And she better work hard, but not make me look lazy and on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> right? Like we make these lists and so much of it is shallow and unimportant. And I want us to make a list that will actually glorify our heavenly father. And the first point on it is this, the people we date need to have faith in Christ. If you are a Christian in here tonight, the people you date should be Christian. And I don't mean that at all, not even in the slightest in an arrogant or egotistical way. Like Christians aren't some like perfect species out there. Like it's, we got baggage too. Like we've got faults. Anybody who's been around church long enough knows there's people and there's groups and we all have issues. But the reason I say that is because Christians are only compatible in marriage with other Christians. And the purpose, right, is pursuing marriage. And so if you're going to link your life up with someone for the rest of your life, if you're a Christian, they need to be a Christian. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 6.14. He says, do not be yoked with unbelievers. Yoked is a metaphor he's using to talk about two oxen that when they were in the field, they would have yoked them together with this piece of wood so that when they pulled in the same direction, they would have plowed straight lines. And Paul is using this metaphor to talk about relationships. Essentially, what he's saying is that you should not link two people together in relationship romantically who are headed in opposite directions. And while I'm not trying to call nobody an ox, like, like, the wisdom still applies. It's still true. Like, he's using this farming metaphor, yet it speaks into our lives. There are so many things, like, there are so many things you and your future spouse can disagree on. My grandparents have been married over 60 years and vote different in every single election. <sighs> Some of you out there, like, you're you're a Republican, all right, right? Like they vote different in every single election, yet it works. 
My wife, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> you guys be praying for us. It's been tough. She likes crunchy peanut butter better. Oh. It has, been, it has been hard out here, people. I, I have prayed. We maybe need to lay hands. Like, I don't know what's going. But even we, like, even we've made it three and a half years. We got to buy two peanut butters, but we made it three and a half years. There are many things you can disagree on in a relationship, but your faith isn't one of them. Your faith in Jesus should be, and it is the most important thing about you. Think about it. If you follow Jesus, he gives you your purpose. If you follow Jesus, he gives you your identity. He gives you your value. He gives you your worth. He gives you your eternity. Jesus is your everything. And now we want to link lives with someone. And how unkind of us as Christians to link lives with someone who is headed in a different direction. Paul has described these two ox, but think about it. If you link your life with someone who is headed in a different direction because they disagree on the fundamental basics of life, someone's going to get hurt. And so it's just not wise to link your life in romantic relationships to non-Christians. The second thing on your list is the people we date should have the cause of Christ. If they have faith in Jesus, the next thing you should be looking for is the cause of Christ. And the reason I clarify this is because it's really, 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 really easy to find someone who will tell you they are a Christian. It's a lot harder to find someone who is actually about the cause of Christ. You could go out today into grocery stores, restaurants, campus, workplace, and ask people if they, they're a Christian. And chances are, it's, it's usually pretty good in the Midwest. It's trending away, but chances are they might, they might say yes. But the cause of Christ looks more at their life and do they follow Jesus? I'm not talking, are they a religious churchgoer? They can have their same spot in the same pew Sunday after Sunday. That's not the question we're asking. They might be here at Oasis tonight. That's not the question we're asking. Do they have the cause of Christ? John 14, 21 says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. If you follow Jesus... It means that you love him and that you keep his commands. And this is what it looks like to have the cause of Christ. That in everything we do with our whole lives, we pursue him. And the people we're dating should also have that same cause. And a funny thing about dating is before we start to look out there, one of the things we should do is look in here. It should start with self-reflection. That the person you're looking for, you should be the person that they're looking for. Does that make sense? It starts with you. It's the self-reflection process where you're sitting there thinking, oh, John 14, 21. Is that me? Do I have the cause of Christ? Because I know I wear the name tag that says Christian, but does my life actually look like Jesus? Do I love him? Do I follow him? Is he my everything? It starts in here. When you can answer that question, then you can go to someone you're interested in and ask them those questions. Do they love Jesus? Do they follow him? Is he about their life? The third thing is the people we date need to have Christ-like character. Some of my favorite Bible verses over the last couple of years have been from Galatians 5. It's this list that Paul has given us called the fruit of the spirit. But honestly, it's like the perfect set of characteristics that you should look for in someone who you're dating. 
Galatians 5, 22 through 23 says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. This is the fruit of the spirit. That's your qualifications for a dating significant other. This is your, your list. This is what you should be looking for when it comes to character. You should ask questions like, are they joyous? Not like, do they always have a smile on their face? That's not what joy is. I'm saying when they walk into a room or people are excited to be, are they, people are excited that they're there. Or is it like, oh my gosh, Bob showed up again. <laughs> like, and you're the one attached to Bob and so everybody's like, oh, she brought Bob. You know, like, are they joyous? Is there a joy about their life? Are they excited about living? Do they have the joy of the Lord living in their heart? Otherwise, are they patient and kind? And I'm not talking about just to you. It's easy to love the people you love, right? Remember, this is an assessment. It's like a job interview. Like, who doesn't show up to the job interview and put on their best face? In dating, you're getting the best version of that person. But we're pursuing a future spouse. And so it's not the question, are they nice and kind and patient to you, but are they kind and patient to the people they don't like? When the waiter messes up their food and they turn around, what do they act like? <laughs> that guy, yeah, you know, everybody feel that? When the person cuts them off in traffic, oh, I just got a couple people. When the person cuts them off in traffic, what's their response? Are they patient and kind? When the annoying coworker at work does the thing again, the person in class raises their hand, you know they're about to ask a stupid question. And someone's like, there's no stupid question. They are stupid questions, you know. <laughs> are they patient and kind? Are they marked by the fruit of the Spirit? This is the place where I need to tell you that character is not about being perfect, but about pursuing Christ. Because if we leave this room trying to find this person who has fully embodied the fruit of the Spirit, you're looking for Jesus, not a, not a spouse. Jesus is the only one who has perfectly fulfilled all these things. And so you can't go out there looking for someone who doesn't have flaws. You'll, never, you'll be in the 200 who gave up hope pretty quick. But what you should be looking for is someone who is looking to overcome those issues in Christ. If they struggle with anger, if they're not joyous, if they don't have peace, are they pursuing that in Jesus? The third thing and final thing we're going to look at tonight is we need to cultivate this practice. If I'm being honest with you, which I try to always be, is I struggled hugely this week to pick what to put here. That there are thousands of practices that I could cut up, come up here and tell you that we need to change about our dating or improve about our dating. And I started on Monday with 10. And I was like, oh yeah, I could do 10, right? And it's like, I could not have done 10. So I got seven. Then I got five. Then I got two. Then I got one. <laughs> and when I got the one, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I was like, are you serious, God? No part of me wants to talk to you about what, I was about to, what I'm about to talk to you about. Back then, I didn't. I would have done the nine, nine times over rather than talk to you about this tonight. But as I studied and prayed and prepared this week, I came to this realization that this practice, I find it is at the core of destroying so many relationships. And so the practice is this, it's purity that we need to cultivate the practice of purity. And I told you I didn't want to say it tonight because someone, they just heard the P word and they're like, ah, 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 you know, like they started to like tense up. You're like, oh, can I, 
can I leave? How much room's in this row, right? Like, you instantly flash back to middle school camp where they separated the guys and the girls and they talked about the birds and the bees and the youth pastor liked it a little bit too much and you're like, this is weird, <laughs> right? Like, no, we're not doing that. But girls, you're gonna have to go over to the great room and you're gonna have your separate rest of your, me- no, I'm just playing, I'm just playing. We're not doing that. But we need to talk about it. This is spring kickoff and I'm the guy up here telling you to shut it down, right? Like, there's new people here. You like brought your friend and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know he was gonna talk about this. I am, it's not like this every week, you know? Like, <laughs> but we gotta talk about it because purity or lack thereof is at the heart of destroying so many relationships. Purity is about forming healthy boundaries in all of our lives. Emotionally, relationally, physically, yes, and spiritually. Purity is about healthy boundaries. And so sex is not all of it. It is a part of it. And it's a part of it we will talk about tonight. But purity is about healthy boundaries in all of our lives, in every area of our lives. And for too long, when it comes to purity, we have simply been told, don't. If you grew up in the church, it was don't wear that, don't say that, don't look at that, don't think about that, don't do that. We just heard don't, 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 don't. And you're like, okay, ah, I'm trying, right? But we didn't often get why. Why are we not supposed to do these things? And that's where if you'll hang with me tonight, I'm here to tell you that to pursue purity will bless your f- current and future relationships. Has anybody ever heard, and of course you have, uh, the statistic that somewhere around 50% of divorces end in marriage? Pretty common nowadays that statistic gets thrown around. Fif- 50% of, oh, they end in divorce, right? It's probably, we saw the 15, we know it's not that high, right? Sorry. And this was supposed to be a serious moment. Uh-uh. Bring it back in, bring it back in. 50% of marriages end in divorce. Some of us are byproducts of that trauma in this room. But do you know the number one reason for divorce in our country? It's infidelity, otherwise known as cheating. That the Journal of Marriage and Divorce did a long study that looked at marriages over the course of a lifetime. And they found that 70% of married couples reported at least one instance of cheating in their marriage. 70. 70. In 2021, the health testing centers conducted a survey of monogamous relationships, so not just marriages, but anybody who was committed to only one person. And they found in the last year, 2021, that 46% of couples reported having at least cheated once. In a year. These statistics, they, they blew me away this week. They convicted me and cut me to my core. And what's scary about that is many of those people didn't wake up one day and say, oh, January 22nd, let me check. I'm supposed to cheat today. <laughs> like, that's not how it works. At least not for most people. What typically happens is that most infidelity actually results and develops from a life that lacks purity. 
cheating and infidelity develops from a life that doesn't have boundaries. It's rarely one bad day, one bad fight that sends someone off to cheat, but rather it's this practice of impurity that has trained people towards unfaithfulness. For instance, did you know that most cheating actually happens with someone that they are highly connected to? That it's not a random bar pickup or someone they met up on the street, but it's someone who they lived life somewhat connected to. And so what happens is there's a friend or a coworker or a classmate where it usually starts relational. You get to know them, maybe you think they're attractive, but you wouldn't probably say it because, and you start to just text every once in a while, you know, you're texting about work, you're texting about class, but then you're texting a lot and there's been no boundary set. So you're like, I don't know how much is okay, but like, okay, okay. And you keep texting and you, and then eventually it crosses to this place where you decide you're just going to get lunch. It's just a friendly lunch, just coworkers getting lunch, right? But then emotionally no boundaries were set. And so you start to complain, both of you, about your significant others and you're commiserating in your pain and your suffering. And again, it doesn't feel, it's not that big of a deal. They, they, they have a, a boyfriend who's not nice. I have a boyfriend who's not, or a girlfriend who's not nice. It's, it's, we're just talking about, we're just complaining, right? But emotionally, you've gone to a place maybe where you weren't supposed to go. And so relationally, you cross boundaries and emotionally, you cross boundaries. And then inevitably, when temptation comes, when a fight happens, when a frustration pushes us over the edge, we haven't been trained in boundaries and so we cross sexual boundaries. Scripture tells us the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. The enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy the good things from your life. You know what he thinks about marriage? (laughs) He doesn't like it. And so he is seeking to destroy it and he will do it in any way possible. In impurity, it disregards any sense of boundaries in life. If I were to take us way back to the purpose for dating, that we are trying to pursue a spouse. And so it's not necessarily about having uh, a fun with a person while that's great or having someone around while that's great. It's about a future spouse. And I don't tell you any of this. I don't... I mean, I'm I'm honestly pleading with you tonight. Not because of some legalistic, biblical worldview that I'm like, they can't do this. Not because I want to rob you of enjoyment in any kind of way. But because I don't want us as these statistics. Is nobody else heartbroken that 50% of marriages end in divorce? Half this room. Nobody wants to be that statistic. 70% of of marriages are committing some type of adultery act. Three-fourths of this room. I'm not okay with that. And I believe it's stemming from this place where our lives don't lack, our lives lack purity. I want us to thrive now and forever. And to do that, we have to set boundaries. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 verse 12, Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. There's a temptation to respond to a night like this and say, you know what, I'm young though, right? Like, it's just a fling, it's just a relationship, like this isn't actually my marriage, and so it doesn't matter. 
I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to fulfill my desires. I'm young. It's not going to affect me. But unfortunately, that's not how it works. In life, repetition brings results. Repetition trains us. It strengthens us. It teaches us. And so saying yes to purity now actually trains you to say yes to purity in the future. Saying yes to God's desires now trains you to say yes to God's desires for you in the future. It's this repetition. It breeds. It builds results. And so sex, it it is a big part of purity and it's the easiest one for us to, to kind of wrestle with for a second. So one of God's desires we're talking about connected to purity comes from Hebrews 13.4 and it just simply says keep the marriage bed pure. Here the author of Hebrews is telling us that God has boundaries around sex. And the reason he puts those there is not because he doesn't want you to have fun or enjoy or connect. Like God made sex. He made your parts. He made you. He knows how it works. He knows how it feels. Like Right? That, that's weird, but it's true. God knows, and he's not trying to just keep you from that. Rather, he put boundaries on it because he knows it can be harmful out of context. Sexuality, it has this huge importance in God's eyes. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside their body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. It's different than all other sins. It's something that cuts us to our core. There's a statement out there. I don't know where it first came from, but it talks about the enemy and it says, the enemy will do everything in his power to get you in bed before marriage and keep you out of bed after marriage. That if he could cut each and every one of us to the heart and steal from us, one of the most powerful tools he has is right here. In God, in his kindness... The God who created you, the God who designed you, the God who knows you, the God who knows everything, the God who is eternal forever. He has told us and given us boundaries in this specific area. Our response is, are we going to listen to him? Does he know what he's talking about? Are we training ourselves for success in relationships? Let's say you aren't. You decide tonight that you're like, I don't care what that Brennan guy says. He's dumb. Like, I'm going to do whatever I want. I don't care what God's word says. I don't care that it's bad for me. And you're in a relationship. And let's just say you're in love, right? Like, you and your significant other are in love. You're dating. And you decide you don't want boundaries. The boundaries are too stifling. We're We're not about that. And so you make your own rules and culture's like, yeah, as long as there's consent, you're good. Like, they don't care. And so you go against God's way and you do what you need to do and you're like, ah, it's not that big of a deal, right? But then every single time you do that and every single relationship with every single person until you reach marriage, you're training yourselves in a certain way. Repetition brings results. You're constantly in this conflict of what God has desired for you, but what you desire. And if you are constantly picking what you desire, you are training yourself 
to pick that over and over and over again. But imagine you end up in this hypothetical relationship. You get married, like it works out for you. But five years down the road, you're kind of sick and tired of having sex with the same person. (laughs) Right? You had all this variety back in the day, and so now you have to commit to one person for the rest of your life. And to be honest, they kind of let themselves go a little bit, and they're not that funny anymore, and like they're kind of annoying, and I'm just not that attracted to them. And, And a coworker, a friend, a classmate comes into your life, and they're like, oh, they're kind of attractive. But remember, you've never practiced boundaries. And so relationally, you just start to connect, right? They're funny. You really like getting along with them. And so you hang out a little bit, and then you start to text a little bit, and it's, it's harmless at first. Trust me, it's harmless. No, no worries at all. But then there's like a little bit of flirting mixed in, and you're like, ah, was that flirting? I don't know. Was it like a... And then emotionally, you start to kind of be like, ah, my spouse, and they're like, really weird, my spouse, and you start to commiserate over issues and emotionally you start telling them about some of the things you struggle with and some of your hardships and they're a really good listener and they're meeting a lot of your needs that your spouse isn't anymore. And it's in those moments that you're again struck with do I submit to God's desire or what I'm feeling? Am I going to do what God has asked me to do? Or am I going to choose what I want to do? And you now have years of results telling you how that question is going to be answered. And you're sitting there thinking right now, Brennan, that would never happen to me. The second I get a ring on my finger, it it will be different. It will be different. 50% of marriages end in divorce. Number one reason, cheating. 70%. 70% of marriages have done at least one affair at some point in their marriage. But in ignorance, I'll let you sit back and think, no, I'll be different. It stems from this life of impurity. If we're going to look back at character, this piece of the, the who puzzle, you know what's probably the highest character move? Is to step away from what you want to do to submit to what God wants to do. Because purity, don't get it confused. Purity is not saying, I don't want to have sex with you and I don't want to, to go emotionally there with you. That's not purity. That's, that's like a cheap version of purity. Purity doesn't say, I don't. Purity says, I do. I do want the healthiest relationship possible with you and I recognize that purity is a road that's going to get me there. Purity isn't about saying no to love. Purity is about saying yes to a deeper, truer love. The team can come up. Personally, I have wrestled with this my whole life. Like, it's hard. Dating is hard. But when we get purity stuff involved, emotionally, relationally, like, it, it's, it's hard. And so, yes, Allie and I have been married for three and a half years. But prior to that, we struggled with a lot of different boundaries. And eventually, we were couple years into our relationship and we heard a talk similar to this one and we sat down and we were like man are we should we do something about this and we both agreed to yes and it wasn't this magic bullet that fixed everything we still struggled and it was hard for pretty much the rest of our dating relationship but I saw her and she saw me fight for purity 
and it built this trust in our relationship that I saw her time and time and time again take what she wanted and set it aside because she was going to pursue what God wanted. And in the same way, she saw me time and time and time again have to put on the brakes, to say no, to not respond to that text at that time, to not talk to that person in that way. And each time she saw me fight for our relationship and fight for my pursuit of Christ, it built this trust. And so now in our marriage, I never ever have to worry if we're going to have boundary issues. Because I saw us fight in the past and I know we will fight today. And I want you all to have that same privilege to say, I saw them struggle. I saw them fight. I saw them commit. I can trust them. And there is peace in that. So what boundaries do you need to cultivate? I want us to wrestle with this. Single, dating, engaged, married. What boundaries do you need? I'm not gonna give individual suggestions. It's probably two case by case. If you need something, talk to a small group leader. If for some reason you wanna talk to me, I'll chat with you about it. But what boundaries do you need to cultivate purity? Tonight, we clarified our purpose. We checked our person and we cultivated the practice of purity. And we did all this because dating is hard. Relationships are hard, but they're not going away. And so we need to continue to fight, to struggle, and to try to do it in the healthiest way possible. But anytime we talk about dating and purity, there's gonna be emotions that are brought up, hardship that is felt, wounds that kinda come back to the surface. And I just want you to know that regardless of what your past holds, that there is forgiveness for you tonight. No matter what things you did, you shouldn't have, no matter what boundary you didn't make or the boundary you crossed, no matter who's hurt you or maybe who you've hurt, there's still forgiveness for you here tonight. That if I could just speak from my heart to your heart, just for a second, that God loves you. He loves you, each and every one of you. The person right now in their mind thinking, ah, he's not, he loves you. Each and every one of you. He loves you so much that he sent his son. And that son died on a cross for you. And three days later, he raised from the grave. And he now offers you forgiveness and healing. Anybody ever craved healing for the pain that they've walked through? Jesus has got it for you. And he knows what you've done. He knows what you're gonna do. And yet he's still, he's right here, right now. He loves you. He's given himself for you. And so I'm gonna end with this prayer of healing and grace. And I just want you to receive this tonight single, dating, engaged, married, divorced, whatever your situation is. Just receive this from the Father. God, we confess our need for you today. We need your healing and your grace. We need our hope restored 
Forgive us for when we have gone our own ways and forgot your desires. Forgive us when we ran away from you and we sought other things. And tonight we come to you and we bring our hurt. You can see where no one else is able to see, Father. You know the pain we've carried, the burdens, the guilt. You know where we need to be set free. And so we ask for your healing and your grace to cover every broken place every wound, every heartache, every mistake. Thank you that you were able to do far more than we could ever imagine. Thank you for loving us as your children. We reach out to you tonight, knowing that you will offer us your restoration and your redemption. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name, amen.